0: From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor, and this is Fintech Insider News. Coming up on today's show, are keyboards going to change the way we send money on mobile phones? Why does Amazon Cash exist? Who's it for? And WopperCoin rears its ugly head once again. Hopefully we're done with this now. Welcome to Fintech Insider News, coming to you live from the 11FS office ah. <laughs> Welcome to FinTech Insider News, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my 11FS colleagues, Jason Bates. Say hi. Hey. David Breer, say hi. Hello. And our guests today are both journalists, so look out, people. First up, we have the legend, the Forbes columnist, the economist contributor, the founder of Mob76, Monty Mumford. How are you doing, sir? I'm all right, mate. And, of course, returning, we have the wonderful Business Insider, Senior Research Analyst, Sarah Kachansky. How are you?
1: I am well, thank you.
0: Yeah, It's great to have you here. Let's get on with the news. Right, so first story up. Uh, there's one here in a publication called MoneyWeb. Says cultural misfits slow fintech collaboration. This is something, uh, David, Sarah, you've had a look at this.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like one of my one of my areas of extreme interest here. So it's about the idea that cultural differences between fintechs and incumbents are basically hindering their ability to work together. So they kind of have both gotten to the idea that they need to, you know, collaborate to get anything done. But they've actually kind of failing to overcome the biggest hurdle there, which is they have very different cultures. Um, so this particular article, I think it's from a South African publication, by the way, is, is why I ah. think we may have not heard of it ourselves, is that it kind of touches on the two schools of thought there are, which is if you want fintechs and incumbents to work together, you either have to kind of inculcate a culture of collaboration all the way through both businesses. Or the other option is to take a little unit from the incumbent and sit them in a building somewhere else, probably somewhere trendy, with a ping pong table, with a fintech, if you want to get things done. Um, Was
2: there any irony there that we can literally see a ping pong <laughs> table from where we're sitting right now, Sarah? Or is no, no irony, no. no. I no? mean, okay. I believe
1: that ping pong tables are integral to cultural change. And I have a report on the subject. Nice. If you want to read it, we'll do. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that this is this is actually a really common topic now. We've kind of moved on from the idea of you know it's fintech versus uh, legacy players, and it's now very much the need to work together. But this cultural problem is coming up left, right, and centre. We, we've talked about it on on the show before. How do you how do you get over it? Like how do you find a way around it? I, I think I think
2: this is the problem, isn't it? I think all of the other sort of technological stuff is is kind of surmountable, but the the cultural barrier just kind of keeps coming back. And it's it's that idea of the. Green gorilla having a butterfly moment here you know like you can kind of attract in the butterflies as much as you want but that gorilla is going to smash that shit up as soon as it gets Mm. hold of it so my my worry on on a lot of this stuff though is it kind of comes back to was it santander's their collaboration is key thing i think they had a Snazia title for 4.0 yes. the white paper with
0: Oliver Wyman
2: from uh, about yeah. 18 months ago. That's yep. the one. You know where the whole thing was about collaboration. But if banks can't learn to play nicely with smaller companies and actually be able to uh, foster an environment where that works and have to resort just to, you know, throwing money at them and trying not to get in their way, then uh,
3: you know that's a that's a hard thing to kind of break through isn't it? But there's almost like a, a baby in a bathwater thing here because the cultural differences are positive and negative on one hand large financial services organization millions and millions of customers you know granny's pensions people's savings day-to-day living like you can't mess around with that you can't sort of iterate super fast and have it break and equally kyc aml funding terrorist organizations there's a whole set of things that actually having that uh, sort of traditional mindset of a utility and making it work is utterly positive On the other hand, you've also got the politics and the game playing and the internal metrics and the the mindset of, of a traditional button down bank and how that works. And for me, it's interesting as to how you can tease those apart, because there are some things about big banking culture that you obviously want to keep, where there are other parts that actually prevent them from from moving forward. I think
1: it's kind of a give and take as well. I think that it's not all on the bank side. I think the fintechs have to understand, I think there has to be a thing here. So maybe the banks or whoever, insurers, wealth managers have to learn that there are some areas they They can take risks because that kind of idea that you've just said, you know, you can't take a risk with granny's pension. Absolutely. Nobody's saying you should. But on the other hand, in your innovation arm, why don't you let somebody have a bash at something if it doesn't work? And at the same time, the fintechs need to accept that, yeah, you can't mess with granny's pension. You can't just move fast and break everything because then everything's broken.
0: And I think that's kind of been the key is every bank has had this innovation team but there's questions about is it just for PR or are that you're getting results because the results seem to be in the types of companies that have either done digital well so you look at your uh, your Barclays you look at BBVA you look at something like that. The, the people that have kind of embraced digital and done it quite well then you look at uh, the vc arm and they've done VC stuff kind of well but the two don't meet in the middle like that integration of those small companies with the mainstream product it just hasn't happened and it's the people that sit in between that that becomes really key i i I wonder whether that matters
4: right whether whether that matters for the customer i was on a train today with two kind of private school girls probably 17 18 going to france talking about harry or some boy or whatever what should i say and then in their conversation was that, was that
2: prince harry no no just, just
4: i think the other girl actually liked him more than the girl that was <laughs> she was saying whatever um, and then they kind of like blithely started talking about starling and monzo you know what i mean just like it's a thing for them you know it's like for me changing to a challenger bank is quite a big deal but they were just talking about it it's like if you got that like, i didn't know they were doing that i didn't they know what's going on so they don't really care if there's a digital transformation thing going on with misfits or whatever you describe it as it's about the customer right and if the customer is like 17 and now realize that a challenger bank is as normal to them as whatsapp i'm not sure that it matters whether there's a misfit between i've I've met well i've met all of the four banks in the last i don't know in the last three or four months and There are different kind of skill sets digitally of those people, one of which was appalling it was like talking to a swamp monster <laughs> in their intelligence of what was going on you know
2: what i mean so i, I just wonder yeah. whether it really matters because I, I think that's a great point it's like ultimately the customer doesn't really care you know it's it's the their problem to fix it and uh, i think the thing is the banks are procuring a service from the fintechs here because that the fintechs in question that we're talking about are usually ones that are challenging the traditional suppliers so to a certain degree either the banks can have it in the way that the fintechs can deliver it to them or it's going to take three times as long and three times m- as much budget but ultimately the customer doesn't care they just don't see the service being delivered to
0: them right and on that point they're wanting to provide services to exactly those people that you talked about on the train the big banks do want to supply stuff to them but in doing so they're trying to partner with these smaller companies and that's where the friction's coming up and in that partnership that cultural mismatch of small company versus big company seems to be holding them back every time
3: but then it, it almost becomes you're looking for that, that best of both worlds. You're looking to manage risk, to innovate at the same time. I, th- I think the pharmaceutical industry is really interesting as a place where you've got to keep innovating, but people's lives are on the line. And in some way, that sort of clinical trials model, the kind of step-by-step, you know, uh, making sure that you're pushing forward while at the same time constraining the risk to some level is great. I mean, and that's something like we do, 11FS, you know, on the consulting side pushing through that with clients, uh, it, it's a very different model from a, let's build something over three years and launch it to the mass market versus let's try it with 10, 100,
0: 1,000 clients and, and scale it up. Speaking of different models, the next story is from the South China Morning Post, which interestingly is owned by uh, Alibaba Group, um, submitted to uh, com by very own Fagan. Uh, Fagan, thank you for submitting all these stories. The title here is Big banks strike partnerships with technology companies as part of a fintech wave. And the types of technology companies they're talking about are your uh, Alibaba's, your JD.com's. This is your major retailers uh, doing major things. Uh, But it's the big banks as well. So so far, all five big banks accounting for more than one third of China's banking assets have allied with those technology giants. This would be like, uh, I don't know, uh, Amazon and eBay getting together with the big four banks Banks in the UK or Australia or like or, or in the US, it, it, getting that kind of partnership is is almost unheard of. What do we think of this? Is this just China being completely different, innovative? This
1: was really interesting to me. So this is this is my job. I should know what they're doing. Um, and I went away and looked into this, and I had no idea how much of. So we talk about the Alibaba's and we talk about and financial and Alipay and how huge it is and how the US uh, giants should be looking at that model as well. I had no idea how much of this stuff comes from their banking partners. So, you know, It kind of, it's not, it's not public, it's out there. It's almost certainly, in my opinion, a regulatory move because the China is not fond of the big tech guys. It wants to keep them kind of in line. It wants the innovation, it wants the revenue, but it doesn't want them doing their own thing over there.
0: Yeah, the government's hand is there behind all of this and it absolutely, everybody involved has the blessing in order to have proceeded. But that's a really interesting point there is that people talk about how much fintech these guys are doing really, really well. It's the biggest fintech market in the world by an order of magnitude magnitude but actually behind the scenes it's the banks
1: yeah and it's really fascinating the one that caught my eye was the um the the kind of the the jd uh jd.com or whatever it is and that on the debit card and um, it's brilliant so you have a you have a card um the minute you get more than a thousand i think it's one or dollars into your savings account it instantly transfers from the bank's product to jd's um investing product so it's Really, talking about cultural meshing, that's perfect. So you've got the security of the bank with the payment industry and in account, and then you've got the JDs um investing arm, you know, over here doing clever things.
0: So going back to Monty's point earlier about the two people on the train discussing Starling and Monzo, can you imagine them dealing with a brand like Amazon or somebody else that where the money just flipped for them and it started saving for them? Would I that be something I, they I don't they no care?
4: Yeah. As long as it was easy if you if you look at kind of chat networks and whoever's winning at the moment whether it 's whatsapp or whatever, that kind of like generation will just slip to the next one as quickly as possible. so you're talking about china and and I think you said the biggest fintech market in the world is is, is that a gen Kind of, by investment and by customers. Then you look at like WeChat. Yeah, exactly. And what they're doing with their cryptocurrencies and how they're, I don't know, what's the thing in China with the red, red envelopes? Red envelopes. envelopes, yeah. Kind of like event based kind of stuff like that that changes the way that people use mobile. Um, they sound to me a little bit late to the party, you
0: know. WeChat's doing amazing things. WeChat has been doing this for some years through Absolutely. Tencent and Tencent, another massive Absolutely. technology.
4: Absolutely, But
0: yeah. you've got Alipay on one side and Tencent and WeChat on the other side. But what I think here is, is again, that trend of China is definitely showing the, some business models that the Western world hasn't adopted and is really moving light years ahead.
1: They, they, Do you not remember Amazon and Wells Fargo's partnership, though? They tried. So Amazon tried to offer student loans for... From, from Wells Fargo. Oh, and in fact, it did for approximately 30 seconds until it fell foul of all sorts of rules and regulations and they had to stop it. So this it has been tried. So it's not, I don't think that...
2: But, but is imagine. that not very... So that's a very product approach to delivering those things isn't there whereas actually when you look at what alipay does there's a whole wrapper around a service there that actually becomes a you know a compelling proposition so
1: so it's amazon's technology so you're going on there and amazon's offering you a loan because by the way you bought student prime for half the price that they charge real adults or whatever it is um i'm sure mature students get it actually by the way never actually tried um and then you know the the loan is provided by wells fargo but it's got an amazon front on it so it kind of it feels the same and that when you're a student getting the loan you don't know that it's you know it's Wells Fargo because you really want to see the name at the bottom and know it's not Amazon, but on the other hand, it's Amazon's user experience. I don't
2: know. I still, I'd be more likely to get a loan from Amazon
3: than I would Wells Fargo, wouldn't you? It, like
2: I well, kind right of, now,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> But I think it, it's also part of a larger trend, even outside China, of banks and financial institutions realising that they have to reach out and and start partnering and working with alliances. Because in the end, these end-to-end journeys that – uh, or what customers really care about are provided by a variety of players on a particular platform and that whether it's buying a house or buying some buying a holiday or your weekly shopping this whole connection of delivery services financial services retailers manufacturers is really becoming a meshed in this sort of API platform world
1: well that's that's the big argument isn't it who who, who which interface is going to win like those those girls who love monzo is it because they love monzo so much they're never going to look at anything else and monzo is going to be their provider because as you say you know in in China, you go to Alipay or Tencent, and you get your insurance and your asset management product, and you buy uh, a new pair of shoes and you buy a house all from the same. Because that's your provider, because that's that's who you go to. So is that going to happen in the Western world? Or well, not?
4: they're probably trying to lock those girls in, right? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. they probably have got no chance for a couple of years. <laughs> but but just so that kind of banks are out of step. Have you seen that advert with the kid that loses his kind of card after he cops off with a girl? Oh yeah, yeah. It's,
0: man, what? I, I kept that? looking at that thinking that he had like five or six opportunities right, to do something like, differently. Like, no, you've got so your s- phone on you, call I've not your i I'm not sure <laughs> I want to see this. So, so for the people who haven't seen that advert, this is about a guy who's trying to get home and he keeps trying to go to a cash machine. Then he realizes he hasn't got his card and all kind of mishaps happened. And then, of course, the bank provide him with an ability to go to a cash machine with a code and draw out some cash.
2: And so he's skipping on... Is this RBS?
0: No. Is that yeah.
1: the get cash yeah, feature? That, all right. Which, okay. which
0: is a neat little product. Nothing, mm. nothing against the product particularly, but yeah, it's t- that's the other. I mean,
1: why wouldn't you just ring somebody to come and get you? Yeah,
0: or or use an Uber <laughs> like, yeah. uh, to yeah. get home. But get get cash is
2: a great thing, though. Like, I think that as a service, maybe this is
1: starting. This is starting to sound like
2: some sort of weird, sort of like director's commentary DVD right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, sorry, about that.
4: No, no, but I agree with you. It's actually quite a good product because because the ad is so rubbish. You kind of don't even think of to get cash. I saw an ad last night for, I was in the pub or whatever, and watching it in the background. It was about a storytelling stream of this guy that just got a prison. He was working really hard. He'd gone to the cobbler, you know, the cobbler was going to give him a job. It was all like amazing. And then on the day that he's kind of going for the job, he can't get out of bed. So then it, goes to the cobbler and he's going jesus i shouldn't give him a chance you know? <laughs> and then the guy's in bed and, this so, sounds like a
3: film that. This that
4: it's like really good you know and then at the end the guy can't get out of bed and then the kind of thing is like what is this for arthritis national problem awesome right yeah. really awesome impactful mix really and it's very rare nowadays for an ad to do that to you you know So it's out there. The talent is out there for the banks to have a, an advert like that. You know, as you said, whatever that product is, it's, it's fine,
3: but it's just branded so. (laughs) But it's so so often retrofitted. Ah, you know, you find a a technology and you've got chatbots. Great, let's everyone do a chatbot. Oh, okay, we've delivered it. Now we need an ad. Ad agency, come up with an ad for a chatbot. Rather than... God, you know, I'm just imagining
1: like, what that might yeah. look like. Oh, yeah,
3: here's the concept. Okay, you know, somebody man can't sits get home bed, and they need cash. I'm just surprised
0: whilst that was being pitched, nobody went, but what about using his phone to call somebody or to get an Uber or anything like that? I wonder
1: if it's being pitched well, by I, somebody I, I who never...
0: It, and apologies to anybody who hasn't seen any of these adverts I'm gonna I'm gonna move us to the next story um in fintech Asia we've got a story submitted here to fintechinsidernews.com by Joe I'm not gonna try and butcher your last name of uh, lattice 80 so the world's largest fintech hub expands to London apparently what's going on here
1: yeah this is really interesting so um lattice 80 are huge a uh, huge huge hub out in Singapore which is you know becoming incredibly widely known for its um it's it's a fintech scene basically it's, it's got all the like Things a place, it's got brilliant regulator, it's got a load of money, it's got investors, it's got talent, all that stuff. Um and this this FinTech hub is going global and doing it fast. So they've got a huge number of partnerships. Just last week they were working with the Japanese uh incubator, and apparently they're coming to London. And apparently they're registered here as a business, but they need office space, which I wouldn't have thought was a huge problem, but I think it kind of indicates the scale they want to come in at. They want to come in and they want to come big. Um it's really interesting on a, on a couple of levels. One is that I don't think London, for all its fintech success, has this kind of thing. You know, there's not one hub, one accelerator, one area you go to if you're a fintech and you want office space and support and, you know, um, investment. The other idea is this link that are growing between the UK and Asia and how fintechs in the UK, instead of maybe looking previously at the US or even Europe, I've kind of maybe taken that Brexit thing on board. Where else can we go? Where else can we find users? Asia's got loads of users. And Singapore, UK makes perfect sense when you think about what Singaporean law and regulation is based on. It's based on British law. So the regulators are buddies. The law is pretty similar. A lot of people in Singapore speak English as a business language. So it actually seems like a really good idea to me.
3: And I'm so impressed that Joe, who submitted this to FinTech Insider News, is the CEO of Lattice 80. Oh
1: no. Oh, Why didn't yes. you tell me that before I started you should have
3: talking? Re <laughs> So, Joe, hey, thanks for submitting your own story. <laughs> I think it's um, a great idea. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we met, uh, I met Joe in uh, Oslo where he was talking at an NFI event, which was the sort of Nordic region financial uh, area. And they were striking partnerships over there as well. So this was really, really was sort of taking something massive in Singapore and reaching out to particular regions and fintech hubs and accelerators in order to get that global scale, which is, yeah, which is amazing. But you're right, Brexit.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the network, the networks, I think, is a, a, to build on on Nadia's point as well, that the Brexit point drives home the need for a network, the need for if you're a small company and you're offering something specific, you really need a lot of users, whether they're businesses, whether they're consumers, whether they're banks, whatever it is. And the way to do that is to build on somebody else's connections a lot of the time. It's the old old VC way of doing Which things. Which is right? almost
3: a consistent part of those last two stories. It's no longer stick with your own geography in your own business. It's actually a team game. You know, you've got to reach out. You've got to be in in other places with other incubators, with other businesses, coming together to deliver something amazing for customers, not only in one jurisdiction, but... But more globally. You know, you look at how in 26 and now it's suddenly so many countries where traditionally for that kind of expansion of, of any kind of financial services organisation would take years. You'd,
0: you'd focus on one territory before you go anywhere else. It's interesting that in the US that seems to be harder to do because there you have to go state by state by state. And then there's so many federal reg- regulators and so many layers that you have to go through. Singapore, by contrast, is a city state and uh, it's, it's considered easy to do business there for the simple fact that you can probably meet most of the people in the regulator in an afternoon and meet most of the people you need to very, very quickly. However, it's a small market, but it's a small market that happens to be in the middle of the growth region of the world, which is Southeast Asia. So it, it, you can see why it's it's doing what it's doing.
2: Is this slightly at odds with what most of the banks are doing, though? So most of the banks are actually shrinking back most of their international banking setup and actually moving to be, particularly in the UK, You know, most of the, the banks have kind of come to either just be UK-based or you've got big global ones as well. Whereas fintech seemingly fixes the same sort of needs everywhere, right?
1: But I think there's two ideas there. One is that a lot of the fintechs are doing one thing. So banks are trying to do everything and they're not pulling back everything from everywhere. But say you're, I don't know, ex-big bank, you're going to keep investment in Asia and you're going to pull back retail and keep retail in your home market, which happens to be Germany. I don't know if that's the case. The other thing is, It's very easy for you as a fintech to launch a product for loans in Germany where people like loans and a credit card in France because people prefer credit cards. It's well, not easy. It's easier than some of those big guys to do that.
0: Uh, So next story is one in Finextra, David, called uh, OCBC Keyboard, which is just a fun word. So I guess this is one of those keyboards inside an app. Let's customers make person-to-person payments without leaving messaging apps. Uh, This is submitted to Fintech Insider News by Nigel Walsh. Nigel, thank you for submitting that.
2: Yeah, this is sort of continuing the uh, Singaporean theme, I guess. So this is OCBC's sort of foray into custom keyboards. We, we've seen a couple the of these now. What's OCBC? Is a- so OCBC is the bank. Um, Based and in Singapore. what they have done, so I don't know if anybody's seen something like PayKey before, but this is essentially a custom keyboard that sits within your mobile device, which allows you to... Uh, instigate a payment on one tap so rather than having your sort of emoji button down there in the left hand side of your of your keyboard then it allows you to press this button to initiate a payment in any app that you're in so if you're in facebook or if you're in wechat or if you're in whatever you want to be in you can literally just press that money type the uh, the amount that you want to and send
3: it to somebody else but, but famously westpac uh who, impl- who one of the first implementers of this keyboard, which you have to say is a great user journey I mean the ability to rather than send a smiley poo to actually s- start sending some, some cash to someone can, from wherever can you I do are both? So that will be well, like, You definitely so. can. Well, okay. you can do
1: it with Monzo can't you? You can add a little emoji to the you're sending so you I'm, sure, I'm sure you can
3: But the, the problem was Westpac sort of sent this sent this out implemented this and Apple said uh no like there's no keyboards are used for a very specific thing and you're you're and, taking the piss And that isn't an it yeah so uh, so they had to back out from this so i think the thing that's interesting in this case is that they're aimed at or they've they've released an android keyboard so uh, you know not that curated I'm going to take 30% of everything you do Apple view but actually more of a wild
0: west pixel (laughs) Simon Taylor view (laughs) I I like myself some Android but yeah for for some time you've been able to download these apps that change your keyboard and I kind of get this but at the same time I can see at some point a similar thing coming along where well now I've still got the same network effects issues like if I've got this keyboard app that I'm using on my phone, it's great that I can press my button and send it to you and send you a message in WhatsApp. And you get a message in WhatsApp saying, hey, to receive this money, go here. But it... Oh,
1: (laughs) I hate that user experience. There is a well-known similar payments person-to-person payments um technology which does exactly that so the other person's like gets an sms that says to retrieve your money go here and set this up well, the and then thing go through a load do. of then
0: go through a load of sign up yeah. so so like i get the idea but these keyboards if they're in the apple ecosystem have been banned as you say jason if they're in the android keyboard uh, world they've still got that user experience problem whichever way you go David, how much? What's the limit that you can send? I don't think there was a limit on this one when I was looking through what
2: they they were saying. I know in in other instances they've they've capped it, similar to like contactless fees. So almost like forty quid seemed to be like a cap where they were going. But
1: other important question is: is it only OCBC to OCBC, or is it kind of like if I'm on OCBC and you're on DBS, I can send you? Money, like that would be interesting because it's all well and in- and otherwise, then it's playing that game that some of those neobanks are doing. That oh well, if you get your buddies on it, then it's, life's easier. Yeah, <laughs> we could see how,
3: you could see how it would work in one of those territories where I don't know, like Sweden, where Swish has 80% yeah. of the market, or like it would be nice to have the Android keyboard that would then allow that payment. Because actually, eighty percent of the market already is doing that in some way or other. So I don't know. It strikes me as a really interesting, like well-defined sort of use case app or, or way of using a keyboard. But is it enough to push a particular P 2 P player or a particular bank, or it, is it just more useful where there is a dominant, you know, player?
4: Is the inference here that it's easier to do on Android than Apple?
3: Android won't prevent you from doing it, where Apple will. You can do it using
1: using Siri and iMessage, but you can't have the keyboard. So it's the compromise there. I think that's
2: going to be the thing. I think like. Do people trust this stuff? If you download it, like as the Android user in the room, Simon, um, do, when you download something from the Play Store, is that what it's called? <laughs> I I don't, don't, don't you, you're, you're actually, actually looking
3: down, down on him at this point. <laughs>
0: yeah. What's amazing about downloading things from Google is they actually tell you all the privacy they're taking away from you. Unlike Apple, who <laughs> sort of got with that quite recently. But anyway, that aside, uh, <laughs> that aside, moving on, uh, <laughs> that aside, I, I don't know if it'll get adopted. That's my real question here. So I'm going to move us to the next story. Uh, Next one we have, Jason, here is in a publication called Banking Innovation. This was submitted again to uh, Fintech Insider News by Fagan. Fagan is a prolific story submitter. Um, This one, I like the headline. Apple Pay have been overpowered by Tencent's WeChat Pay. So Apple couldn't come in riding into China and, and do their Apple Pay thing. This just
3: plays to all your biases, doesn't it, Simon? It's like suddenly it's like Apple getting a kicking. So, yeah, richly (laughs) deserved so Apple's now allowing Chinese customers to use WeChat for purchases in the app store uh, which is super interesting because you don't see Apple back down on you know on anything um Digging into it uh, and looking at a couple of different stories, apparently the Apple App Store uh, pulled in more revenue in China, $2.2 billion, than any of the market um, last year, according to uh, App Annie, the mobile analytics store. And so WeChat has become that all-purpose, you know, smartphone utility, a billion active users. Apple's making ridiculous amounts of money in that market. Apple Pay came out there in 2016, hasn't really made a dent at all. And so you've, you've got this setup where do you go for the money and do you want really being paid in the app store or do you, you know, prevent that and try and push users? They've given up. Well, well, apparently there's also been this recent sparring with Tencent who, you know, behind WeChat over purchases in the app store because uh, WeChat had to, was forced to disable a, a tip functionality. Uh, to comply with App Store rules. Wow! So there's a bit of kind of toing and fro here of the giants. You know, there's a bit of
0: giant sparring going on in Tech uh, giants in Asia. are sparring in the war for the future <laughs> of how people pay. I like that a lot. There's there's definitely, yeah, there's politics going on there. You can really see and you can imagine, Monty was saying earlier that people are all using their chat applications, the easiest possible way of doing things. But in the background, these tech giants are trying to be that in that position. And in China We've seen the banks kind of realise that and support that future and just become suppliers to it. We haven't really seen that in the US or Europe. And like Sarah mentioned, we saw them try, but they haven't succeeded. So, so maybe it starts to happen in the future. Who knows? All righty. Um, so I'd now like to hear from our sponsors.
2: The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white when you need the full perspective turn to ft.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
0: Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com.
1: This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by SmartDX, a smart communication solution. The days of managing capital markets documentation using Word docs and emails are over when you use SmartDX in its innovative, collaborative negotiation environment, built by the industry for the industry. SmartDX simplifies drafting, negotiation, and execution of all capital markets documentation for all asset classes and product types while giving you transparency, control, and digital data that can be extracted at any point in the process. Learn more at www.smartcommunications.com smartDX.
0: Cool. Thank you very much to our sponsors. And if you like any of the stories that you've heard so far, you want to hear different stories, Be sure to check out fintechinsidernews.com or follow us at fintechinsiders on Twitter. That's at fintechinsiders. All right, Sarah, next story. There's one here in The Verge submitted to fintechinsidernews.com by Barb McLean. And this one is titled Amazon Cash Comes to the UK But Under a Different Name, Stealthy.
1: I know. It's called Amazon Top-Up, which doesn't feel... Particular, they could have gone they could have gone bigger and bolder than, yeah i
0: feel it's not it's not
2: very um, sort of stealthy really It's yeah, still got amazon there isn't it it, is it?
1: it it doesn't just you know it's not like called cap money or something i that. not uh, so explain Ninja. the uh, yes. product so the concept um, is the that basically people who don't necessarily have a credit card or a bank account can top up an amazon account using mobile phone um app and cash so basically what happens is you you go onto amazon you get a barcode you take it into a shop that supports it um, in the UK it's anywhere that uh, uses paypoint which is mostly used by people who don't also have bank accounts and therefore can't have direct debits who so pay their bills um, so you take this app in you scan the barcode and then you hand over x amount of cash um, and the cash appears on your Amazon account, and then you can go away and you can shop online on Amazon.
0: Which, for people who are underbanked or not yeah. financially included, but want to buy e-commerce, makes complete sense. Yeah. There are a lot of people locked out of e-commerce because they don't have a bank account.
1: And you know who also really likes it? People who don't trust linking their credit cards and bank accounts to Amazon. So, mm, yeah, the cyber-conscious. Yeah, people, people who
0: don't pay tax on their
3: cash-in-hand earnings. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, That too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but, you know. Well, but um... isn't, it,
3: isn't it, I mean... You know, on one hand, you've got between 750,000, a million people who don't have a bank account or say they don't want one. So on one hand, yes. In the UK? In the UK. So if people want to buy things on Amazon, you need some kind of electronic payment thing to be able to take your, you know, 10 or 20 pounds to the news agent, load it onto your app and then to buy something. That's great. But that's actually a, that's a small market to, to you know, to launch something with. Uh, and, and those people who who are, uh who don't have a bank account are they going to really spend as much um at amazon in order to you know to do stuff in the first place
1: i kind of i i'm i'm kind of on the other side of the fence here i think it's um i think it's really interesting because i think there are certainly in the uk and with not to get too heavy here but that with the way that things are there are a lot of people who have a lot less money all of a sudden and they are you know they're, they're they're struggling um and a lot of people who are certainly living in you know under a certain line are paying their bills on a month by month day by day whatever basis so they're using these services more than they have done previously these services like paypoint i don't know the numbers but are being used increasingly um and yet they don't want to give up in fact the point is as well that amazon's one of the cheapest way to buy things so if you haven't got much money and you need to buy stuff why should you be excluded from the cheapest way to buy it because you haven't got a bank account
4: Um, but that kind of maybe explains the name amazon top-up right because if you're skint and you can't get a kind of subscription for something you just top up your phone Mm. and that's kind of almost a certain amount of kind of fascism because it's more expensive to top up than it is to kind of subscribe or have a subscription with a mobile provider Mm. so that maybe explains slightly patronizing um naming of that product the idea that if you go to price point, which fortunately I haven't been to for many years, so what you're saying is that that is a kind of back way in to being banked. So you go there and pay your electricity bill every month, as you said, and then that means that you can go via that channel to Amazon, bypassing credit cards. Is that what you were saying? You can you can turn cash
3: into something from Amazon. Yes. Yeah, right. so right. you, you you pay point.
1: You can use cash to pay on Amazon. Okay. Which obviously would be… Difficult, otherwise, but um, it's it's something that's actually been incredibly widely used in places like India, where like underbank is, is actually a, a serious problem, which it generally isn't in the UK.
2: I, I'm still struggling to get this if i want to with you. So like, I'm not 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 having to go at you, Sarah. and Your articulation no, is great do it. But I, like, all right, <laughs> all right. <Sarah>. okay. <laughs> so, but but like, what is this solving then? So this is this is literally to your point, Jason. This is solving people who get paid in cash who don't have a bank account to buy stuff on Amazon. No,
4: it's just giving Amazon more money. I, I'm all for that. I love <laughs> I love Amazon. but um... it's,
1: it's not necessarily people who don't have a bank account. It's also people who don't have, you know, the right sort of bank account. It stops them going into the overdraft. If you've got people who are on very, very tight budgets. So I know people yeah. who get their wages... They go to their bank, they take all of that money out in cash yeah. because they do not have it, they cannot go into their overdraft. They have no credit card and they take it home and they put it in different envelopes. So this is my rent and my electricity and my groceries. So for those that's people, yeah. that is not uncommon. So for those people to then be able to access Amazon is, you know, but how
2: is this different than to just going and buying like a hundred
0: pound gift card for Amazon for myself?
1: It's not that different, but it's on your phone and it's a reusable car. It's a uh, reusable. You've got to bear in mind
0: there's a lot of migrant workers who are send using PayPoint at the moment to send money home as remittances. They're using it for a whole bunch of services who probably can't get a bank account, uh, but are being paid by a local bar or some some sort of um, somewhere in the grey economy. These are people that are doing real work that need to buy things from Amazon. But, I think there's. But, is, this but I'm better.
2: not. I'm not sure. Like Amazon suddenly becomes like this human right. You know, I mean, like 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 if you've got those problems like go get a money's account and then have a bank account where you can do stuff from not just buy amazon stuff because basically storing value
0: in amazon unless it shares in amazon is probably not the best place to be put it's in it. ux versus ui um this is following where the people already are versus trying to get them to go down your really neat apple-like path <laughs> but where these people are every month
4: is there's too much month left at the end of the money right they're, they're skint so around the twenty first or twenty second of March or July or whatever, you have no money left and you're, you know, skinting yourself out. If Amazon are offering, I don't, I actually have no idea what the, this is. Amazon top up. I don't, I, what's it for?
1: It, it
2: does like just. It just sounds like a way to make
4: poorer people spend money on Amazon. Poor people to. Put money into Amazon's does, pocket. I've seen it, yeah.
1: It is. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the the thing, the one thing that I will I will say, you know, and I will repeat, is that Amazon is in a lot of instances cheaper than other places. So if you've got month left at the end of the money, why not buy your light bulbs? Why not buy your children's nappies in bulk from Amazon because it's a hell of a lot cheaper than Tesco. That's like uh, and, I, don't think if, they're bu- I don't think they're buying like it's still, it's, shoes uh, and, <laughs> and if, if you got,
0: got a coming out as a check and then you've cashed that and you've cashed it at a payday loan you may live in cash and you may need to may want to buy from amazon i think that's entirely possible yeah, yeah. amazon the, the new wonga you new. <laughs> well, I, yeah, maybe not. Uh, but Monty, no, there's a story not. here in TechCrunch. This was submitted to FinTech Insider News by Andrew Earle. And this is about the banking giant SoftBank who have poured 44 Billion dollars into WeWork, which is where we happen to be sitting right now. <laughs> they don't need uh, Amazon Top Up, do they? Yeah. <laughs> this is Amazon Top Up for WeWork. I find the whole kind
4: of like co-working space thing really interesting, right? Because basically this is like Regis office space, or it's just a kind of sometimes sounds a little bit more just like a kind of sexy way of describing it. But I've been to, how uh, I did a load of pieces from Mashable, from Bogota to Moscow and all that stuff about co-working spaces in the place that we're in now. So we're arguing earlier about whether they should get Hendrix gin earlier. So it's, there is a bit of a first world problem thing here. Um, but I've been to IHUB in Nairobi based on M-PESA and, and that success. And have seen the most amazing African entrepreneurs in a very kind of human space. Uh, as much as I wrote a piece for Forbes a couple of weeks ago about fly spaces in the Philippines, biggest ever raise of, you know, Philippine investors and all that stuff. Um, And there are all types of kind of acquisitions in that space. Uh, I think SoftBank are being very smart. You know what I mean? I just, I I think that the co-working space kind of idea, um, is now part of culture it's it's just it just is you know
0: it's the new normal if you're starting a small business Absolutely. And as we look around kind of our co-inhabitants we don't just see small tech companies we see people who are in fashion we see people mm. who are um, one, uh one sole traders people yeah. who are doing it's just a place that you can call work
4: uh, i live in brighton and there's a, a company down there uh, well co-working space called platform nine right the guy's a really nice guy. He kind of got a few Brighton people together a couple of years ago. What should I do? We had a few drinks and all that stuff. And he's made this work really quickly, right? Like, really quickly from nothing. Platform 9 was going to be a space at the back of the station that was being misused. As much as the tram shed in, in Bristol has been a really good example of, you know, p- people not so much feeling sexy, but just having that kind of human connection. And I'm not sure if it's like fashion brands or, or small companies, but there are a load of one person kind of companies that work from home and work from bed and take the dogs for a walk or whatever it is have massive freedom to do what they like but they miss humans right so you go to a co-working space within a minute most people are quite nice and you might have not so much a business conversation but you will have a nice conversation and uh, so i think that soft banks kind of move into that area was Completely fine.
0: But we saw we worked for some time had been having financial troubles. They bought a load of property. Their costs were increasing. This could be really timely for their. But growth. their
3: market cap is huge. Absolutely. They're investing ridiculous amounts. I mean, uh, I'm I'm with you. I think. I think this whole investment in infrastructure that supports small gig economy, small, you know, the the workforce, it aggregates all of that demand. It's a super smart play. We were talking to a, a large private equity fund today that was really talking about investing in infrastructure that enables the future. And I think in in a big way, the fact that you, I can come here to, to a WeWork, get a desk, next month get an office, next month get a floor, then things go badly and move back to a desk with lots of people that, that I can then connect with because they're in a similar spot, answers an emotional need, It answers a financial need. It, it really is something special. Absolutely. I'll give it
4: Detroit as an example, right? So I saw that film, you know, the weekend, it's a five-star kind of subject and a really bad two-star film or whatever. And the whole thing about Detroit, you know, kind of um, Halloween, people used to set fire to houses and this idea that uh, Detroit is ruined. I mean, it's pretty bad on the other side of 8 Mile. You'll get killed for $5 or whatever. But in the middle of Detroit, opposite the Detroit Opera House, there was the Madison Theatre, right? The Madison Theatre was an awesome Art Deco building. There was a guy, an entrepreneur, employed two thousand people quickened loans he was a detroitian or detroiter or whatever Mm -hmm. realized what was going on in the city and he realized with detroit they say that there's a kind of area the size of san francisco that's destroyed but it's not in one area there's a building missing there's a building missing whatever so what he did is he went to the madison theater did it all up you know said made it a co-working space across five floors you know kind of perennial kind of beers on the roof on a friday and all that stuff And if you were successful with four or five people, you had to leave the Madison Theatre and then sit up around, you know. So that created the Madison block because there were all these people that then... Google moved in, then Twitter moved in, and then kind of people in Silicon Valley that couldn't afford to rent in California moved in. That's an awesome example of regenerating a city mm. where now you can't even get a, a flat downtown in Detroit, but the kind of con- perception of Detroit is of a, a ruined city. No, it's a, it used to be the third biggest city in America and has gone through that regeneration because someone has done that in the middle of the city and made them leave... Mm.
0: And create the medicine book. There's something really nice about the idea that if small businesses are the engines of growth, if that's where the future, uh, Facebook's and whatever else, whatever you want to build, or even just flower shop. what If that small business is the future of that community, then giving that the infrastructure and the support it needs. But yet we find small businesses constantly, they they struggle to get lent to they're not being lent to we recognize this in, in most of the world and um, why isn't supporting them more of a business model in financial services it's really well, strange
1: it is becoming more of a business model i would say that small businesses are um uh, I, i'm writing a report on this as well just you know if anybody's interested um no small businesses have been underserved nobody denies that basically because no bank could make any money out of lending for them it just wasn't worth the effort um you know a number of large online lenders came along and were like you know what we're going to use technology and we're going to need technology like, you know, the basic stuff, cloud computing, APIs, and we're going to make it easy to lend to a small business and we're going to make some money off the back of it. The banks went, hey, you know what, that's quite a good idea. How do we do that? Um, So I think that the idea of, you know, bringing small businesses up I would I put it out there, and I'm probably going to be heckled with this, but I would say that banks aren't doing this at the kindness of their hearts. They don't want to regenerate broken cities. They want to find a way to make some more money. But if the way to make some more money is to lend to small businesses, who are they going to be their customers, who are going to thrive and grow and, and continue, then why not? Why not do that? And
3: Well, part of the question, part of the problem is data. Because actually lending to a small business, you know, suddenly Jason Bates walks in off the street, I'm setting up a new business, will you give me 50k? You know, it's a question of, well, mm, are we securing this against your house? Mm, no, no, I'm, I'm not into that. I just want the money. You know, uh, and Sounds actually, great. without we, we've data... We've had that conversation, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> without data about... The business, or my background, or what I'm doing, and what I'm about—that gets really difficult to, uh, to to push through.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and that's where you come back to this idea of platforms, and you come back to the idea of those guys who aren't necessarily financial service providers, but the zeros of this world who have a load of data. For example, they're your accounting software. They know who you are. They know where you get money from. They know who you pay. They happen to know you pay a tax bill on time, and they know what your assets are for your business. So, plug one, two, three in, and, and you know, all of a sudden, it becomes viable.
0: Can I take it back to some? Do you sure. think that small sort of business? is the future i believe a lot of people have said that like this is what you hear from politicians i do believe that every big business starts as a small business and yeah Maybe I I, th- I think I need to think about that question more. I don't want to say it categorically. Yeah, you sat on the fence really successfully there. It was, <laughs> no, it was like, a good one. I, like, do I believe it? Is a, is a very interesting question because do I believe it? Maybe I need to think about that more. But you can certainly see a ton of evidence for why it is.
2: I I, th- I think there's definitely something in that where where big banks are trying to pick the high growth businesses small businesses who are going to become the big businesses and while they're doing that some other organizations are going to come in and start serving those businesses better and actually providing to your point sarah like a full suite of what business banking should be because nobody in the market's really doing that
1: and there are people who are definitely certainly in the uk nudging their noses into this space Or, or
4: hence soft bank by putting money yeah. into WeWork.
2: Yeah. Oh. You see what he did there? <laughs> we, we, we all work. Um, I think the the thing on on this, though, is I wonder how many big businesses are using something like WeWork. Because, actually, there's so many big businesses are used, coming back to our sort of cultural point mm-hmm. earlier on, on what feels like hours ago now, sorry, listeners, um, was was about the fact that, you know, cultural osmosis of you know, smaller companies and agile working practices. You see lots of, and we we do this eleven FS. You know, we'll go and use a uh, you know a thirty man office with in WeWork to start a project, get it rolling in a an environment that's sort of neutral because actually it's a you know a safe place to do that type of thing. How does a big business become a small business? How much does it cost to be at a place like WeWork in London? Uh, it very much varies depending on this is starting to sound like some sort of advertorial for, for, for WeWork no, here No, but, no, I, but
4: I'm just, this is actually um,
2: anti-advertorial because I think it's going to be more expensive than I think it varies depending on the office but it's about sort of 400 to £600 it, there pounds. are
1: levels as well so there are depending levels where you are. where you are and also different so di- so WeWork prides itself on having a ping pong table and you know extra facilities That there are other share, shared working
0: but spaces but it's per, per desk per month which yeah. feels a lot more utility guys we're we're so up against it on time um, and for Martin Eleven FS, have a drink. Um, <laughs> uh, the next story, Jason, is one submitted to FinTech Insider News by Andrew Earl. Uh, this is in Finextra, and it says UK challenger bank launches as prop tech market hots up. So, uh, Redwood Bank, a new challenger bank, there's one
3: every week, uh, has um, has started providing mortgages to small businesses and professional landlords. Uh, It was granted its banking licence four months ago.
0: Okay, I get that.
3: And now it seems to have focused very much on a very specific niche oh, they so talk about
1: property technology there you go also, <laughs> i've never
3: heard that
0: before
1: you don't you don't read our briefings obviously so, we'll take this offline
3: so we've been through this wave of aldermore shawbrook we spoke i think last week about oak north how their lending portfolio had massively increased and actually interestingly a lot of half of that increase was on uh, property uh, investment. So again it sees, seems that there's this area that's underserved and if half of you know half of uh, Oak North's property portfolio is there then does actually getting exp- regional experts in that particular area spreading them around and making a bank specifically about that Become an interesting uh, point. Now, the the only thing I'd add, add before everyone jumps in is that this is also starting in a very particular region in Hertfordshire. It has a big investment by the I think the local council. So there's also a question of how this is being used to invigorate the economy with a banking licence and then to expand from there.
1: It's actually up north, it's Warrington, oh, which Warrington, is even sorry. more interesting because just to talk about the mortgage the mortgage space and to give out to small businesses, we can do a full cycle here. The, the United Kingdom has a property problem. We don't have enough houses. People aren't building enough houses. The reason that they aren't building houses is because they can't get any money to buy land or a, loan to, a development loan to build the property or a development sales loan. There's like five different sorts of loans you need under the mortgage umbrella and i won't go into them because it's very dull but the idea of these plate these places is really interesting to me because the idea is talking about regenerating an area and using local expertise the idea of banks like this is to focus on those small guys or, or hopefully focus on those focus on those small guys who are going to build houses for local residents understanding local needs and they will have a space in them for a coffee shop and they'll have a space in them for a corner shop and it enables them to get that money they're using technology to be able to you know get that money out there faster which is what small businesses actually want so it's like small business property developers back to that detroit style. yeah exactly
3: Sounds, did you say that it was like a product for landlords smes and uh, pro-
4: yeah developers, professional developers, developers. Okay, yeah. okay but not good, like someone trying to buy a house okay no, no. i'm awfully suspicious of that
1: well the, the problem is that doing residential mortgages is is very very complicated in the uk and Do doing understand? I'm I I think it's a good idea definitely I think we need more innovation in the mortgage space certainly in the property space if I want to live in a house in the it next depends 10 years. I think
3: part of the question of is it good depends on whether you see the future as a rental future or a home owning future because if I if I can rent an affordable property in a place I want to live is that winning versus actually taking on a mortgage which led us arguably to the last crisis and and how that, that Well worked. I
4: think if the landlords are good absolutely look at berlin and you know it's always berlin isn't it you know um but that kind of um you know owning your house and this kind of obsession in this country to own your own house and then buy a second home and it's bollocks you know um if if the landlords are good it will be a
0: rental future but i'm not sure if the landlords are good good question uh, next story up is one in Newswire Canada submitted to Finting Insider News by Bob McLean this says the Royal Bank of Canada is the first bank in Canada to offer clients personalized digital financial insights like alright so this headline is, is one that doesn't really tell you what's going on basically they've updated their app and the app helps you manage your finances day to day with timely tips and advice like I get that you've got a busy life you want to understand it we, we 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 haven't got our hands on this app yet in 11FS Pulse. We don't know whether it's good or bad. But generally, the concept of helping people manage their finances, Jason, that, that seems right. Well,
3: you know, I'd almost rewrite the headline as, so we copied digits and Acorns and added some PFM and we'll be releasing it soon. You've never worked in PR, have you, Jason? Like, <laughs> you need to refine those skills, I think. But that's, and that's absolutely fine. What I keep coming back to is there's nothing wrong with taking the best of what's happening in the fintech space, especially those businesses, which could probably be better features for banks and implementing them. You know, uh, we don't want to start from scratch. You really do want to look at how the best propositions in peer-to-peer or uh, PFM or uh, savings work and actually start building those into the pro- into your project. I think there's way too much focus on let's do innovation and nothing like I don't know rocket internet. Uh, who are much maligned but look completely across the the world for the best propositions and move those into the market
0: still with pride
3: so um so i think there's something about about it's a great idea but this whole like we've come up with something brand new and we're going to build it it's like mm, that that doesn't quite sit with me i think it's a load of bollocks mate (laughs) well
0: said (laughs) is one in a number of uh, outlets picked this up we've got the Vice story here it was in Munchies I think it was covered by um, several others CNBC this was submitted to FinTech Insider News of course by Sharon Uh, and this story is Whopper Coin what a Whopper this one is as well Uh, so Burger King have I believe in Russia announced their own digital currency where if If you buy enough burgers, you get offered this digital currency. And the joy here, of course, is this digital currency has been marketed as, well, digital currencies are forever increasing in value. And by getting now by eating burgers, you can get your hands on some of this digital currency. Which, of course, is a little bit misleading, as as Kadim pointed out on uh, our sister show, Blockchain Insider, which is in iTunes right now. So please go download (laughs) Blockchain Insider. Um, Guys, what do we think of this one? Is it just... Is this just PR? Double ESA with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I,
4: I, Bitcoin
2: I love, and fries. I, I love um, Sharon's comment on this one, and it probably sort of sums it up. It's like, I honestly just can't tell what's
3: satire anymore. And and that probably sums this one up, because I That's I actually I read it just like it was a joke. <laughs> well, well look, I'm, I'm going to try and find the sense in this. Okay. Because on one hand, you've got, okay, cryptocurrency and the whole thing around that. But, but on the, the other hand, it. old it's a loyalty scheme. You know, rather than uh taking your card and getting the little stamps on it someone's going to give you a cryptocurrency and apparently if you have 1700 whopper coins you can save them all up and you can buy yourself a new a new burger
1: can i only use them at burger king my whopper coins apparently so in russia yes okay yeah
3: so but <laughs> Carry but, on. You might, but you might say well how is this any different from nectar points Because in the end... Or any loyalty schemes, points, air miles. Exactly, air miles. Next to
4: points is interoperable. You can go
3: across. Well, around Ah. a number of... You know, around a coalition. Maybe this is where it starts. All I'm trying to say is that that we've had something equivalent, some kind of loyalty points scheme, that Burger King just happened to have made as a cryptocurrency.
0: So what if I could take my Whopper coins to Kraken.com or Coinbase.com and exchange them for Bitcoin or dollars and so on? And I think that's the idea is, like... They would we'll probably
4: stop you from doing
0: that. I imagine they would, but I think Jason's point is: what does that future look like? If I get some Netflix minutes and I can exchange that for Spotify, or I can gift it and change dollars, and like, what? How does the world change if these types of things become easier to move around? What are the benefits to businesses, and what are the costs to businesses?
2: So, so is there an exchange to this? Like, are these are these Whopper coins going to go up and down? Like, at one day am I going to get like two Whoppers? Like mm. the next day I can have two Whoppers and. Some- Let's just say details are
0: sketchy but the amount of burgers you get to your Whopper coin isn't a a, a great return. I'll I'll Um, be honest
2: the the best thing about this is seeing an American company doing innovation
0: outside of America first. And and also an American company has effectively announced that they've launched what looks like a security um, when the SEC has said that any securities issuance uh, that looks like the Dow may need to be regulated as if it is a security therefore they They may may have accidentally got into hot water. Do you think this was actually okayed in the U.S.? I, I would be very surprised if that was the case. And speaking of fun stories, we've got an unfinally up here. There's one in Finextra submitted by Andrew Earle. I just really like this headline. There's an ice cream van that's gone contactless. That's just brilliant. We need more ice cream vans going contactless because I, just, I, I don't have 99 pence to buy a, a chocolate. Oh,
1: I, I, I would have to say that the headline is my favourite thing about the story as well. By far. Short sure, of sure, your little like stab at mr whippy there and other ice cream vendors and um, i'm just gonna put it out there that i quite like the idea of getting people to use more contactless outside of particularly london in the uk um my favorite one i'm gonna tell the story and i'm gonna tell it again was the guide dogs for the blind and the dogs with the contactless collar and if you wanted to pet the dog you had to put your card against its oh, collar wow. and that was brilliant wow. <laughs> it's brilliant because the charity gets some money and pets for pounds it may I not be guide dogs the blind i apologize if not but it's you know. It, it's it's an interesting idea. Um but so just <laughs> sorry. sorry sorry to get
2: serious on this one, but I know I know that we're sort of getting towards the end. But has anybody watched the the video that's on the in the article? Like the you today. basically have to put an ATM on the side of your on
0: your on your, your ice cream van. Like, it, Why wouldn't it you sounds, just have an eyes yeah, I know. Well,
2: well that's that exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's like that little thing you can just get that you can do any like. Well, so, no. so the
0: driver of that van has got ninety nine problems but a Conan yeah. one
1: Just <laughs> one. Not, by the way, does Barclays not have its own mobile point of sale device? A,
0: a lot of banks now do. Um, this is
1: Barclays card specifically, which is why I asked about Barclays. But yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: So but is this, is this a Barclays card ad?
3: Is, uh, are we, yeah, are like we pushing like Barclays card here? Basically, for that's what it is. Uh-huh. So they did pay why. They got me. They I, got me with the headline. I, I don't think
2: we are. I think we're pushing ice creams. I think yeah. that's what we're doing. <laughs> are you an ice cream pusher? Yeah. As an ex-Fleet Street sub-editor, I think it's
4: an appalling headline. <laughs> When you, when
1: you work in fintech, you take what you can do. Honestly, <laughs> like when I'm writing about, you know, yeah, there must ICUs be a better, there must
4: be a
0: headline by the <laughs> end of this podcast. There must be one. Well. That's the last headline. I'm sorry, Monty. <laughs> but if, if you want to throw any more good headlines out there, where can people find out more about you and what it is you do? I have a
4: little blog called uh, MOB letters 76 numerals mob76outlook.com. Kind of quite well trafficked um i suppose that's about it really and um, what do you talk about on that blog i just kind of put stories up i just try to shine lights on places that aren't usually publicized the non-sector
2: if you go, go to that website the the picture you're greeted with is monty sitting with steve wozniak yeah, just steve hanging St- out with steve St- wozniak, St- steve wozniak. St- yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> as you do sarah where can people find out more about you
1: Uh, You can find my work on BI Intelligence and uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Sarah Kishansky. Uh,
0: And is there a specific report you were
3: mentioning there on (laughs) the SME side of things or is that your big thing at the moment?
1: That's coming soon. That'll be uh, FinTech for SMBs and how banks are fighting back. I'm going to come up with a better headline. I'm going to go and speak to the person at FinExtra who yeah. wrote the Monty, one. Monty's going to help me with that.
0: We like that. More reports from Sarah to come, I'm sure. And more Fintech Insider episodes to come. If you want to find out uh, what we didn't get to cover or if you want to submit stories, head over to fintechinsidernews.com and get involved in the discussion. Comment. Give us give us interesting things to say on the podcast because I might be running out of interesting things to say. <laughs> I don't want to speak for anybody else. Uh, you can get involved. Uh, and as always, you can find Find us on Twitter at FinTech Insiders or on Facebook um, or on our FinTech Insider page. Uh, and if you like what you've heard this week, please don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you very much.